0: Four short days ago began the Linton journey for Christians around the globe. And for us here at the Neighborhood Church, it began with our Ash Wednesday service when Michael preached a meditation, Who Is He? And we also had a service of imposition of ashes and communion. This morning, I want to set up our series for these sermons Of Lent, questions and the quest. You know, if you just stop and look at that phrase, that the word quest is in the word questions. Questions have something to do with being on a quest. Seems rather obvious, but as we think of our faith journeys, perhaps these. Six weeks of Lent, we could think of our faith quest, that we are questing, that we are questing and questioning as part of our Lenten journey. Questions, as Michael mentioned earlier, are so important to how we come to have faith and understand our faith and even apply and act out our faith. Perhaps a daily question to consider throughout these 40 days of Lent would be this. What can I do today to please God? What can I do today to please God? The disciples were continually trying to learn as they followed Jesus, as they lived with Jesus, as they ate and slept and walked together, they were constantly trying to learn from Jesus. And the best way to learn is to ask questions. Questions and the quest. You may remember a number of years ago the bumper sticker that said, I found it. Or that Jesus is. Is the answer. Remember that one? Jesus is the answer. Later there came out one that said, What was the question? As Michael mentioned, Jesus asked over 300 questions in the record of the four Gospels. He answered directly less than 10. So if you're going to encounter Jesus, through scriptures or through other disciplines of study and reflection and meditation, you are 40 times more likely to be asked a question than to, give, to be given an answer. So Jesus is the answer really needs to be flipped, and we consider Jesus is the question. Eleanor Stock, a hymn writer, From about a hundred years ago, she lived in the early 1900s. She wrote a hymn text called The Prayer of the Quest, and it goes like this. Take us on the quest of beauty, poet seer of Galilee, making all our dreams creative through their fellowship with thee. Take us on the quest of knowledge, clearest thinker we have known. Make our minds sincere and patient, satisfied by truth alone. Take us on the quest of service, kingly servant of our needs. Let us work for thee for others, anywhere thy purpose leads. All along our quest far our pathway, Christ, our leader and our guide, make us conscious of thy presence, walking always at our side. We may not have all the answers, but one of the promises of faith is that Christ will be with us on the quest. Jesus was with the disciples, even though they didn't understand everything. And they asked a lot of questions of Jesus, and some of them were pretty silly. Linus of the Peanuts gang asks Lucy, I have a question. What would happen if there were a beautiful and highly intelligent child up in heaven waiting to be born, and his or her parents decided that the two children they already had were enough? Your ignorance of theology and medicine is appalling, said Lucy. And Linus walks away saying, I still think it's a good question. (laughs) Let me suggest that if we are at all serious about deepening our faith and growing on the Linton quest, that there are no stupid questions. However, there is a distinction between curious and crucial questions. I've mentioned this before, but it's important to say it again. Curious questions are interesting, but the answer doesn't really impact the way you live your life. But a crucial question, the answer to a crucial question does have an influence on the way you live your life. So when it comes to scripture, let's take the creation story. Of Adam and Eve. Some people want to take that story literally. It happened just that way. But to me, that's a curious question because we'll never be able to prove it one way or the other. The crucial question is, why did the writer of Genesis tell the story the way he did? Because that tells us something about the nature of God and our relationship with God the same could be said about whether or not Mary was a virgin the answer to the question is a curious one but it isn't crucial is Jesus the son of God the answer to that question is very crucial so let's let's go back to this creation story of we call it the story of Adam and Eve you know the story And I'm not going to try to interpret it completely, but I want you to look at it differently. And I want to point out a few observations. It begins in verse one where the serpent asks a question. Now, the serpent, the text tells us, was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say to you? And here's question number one. Did God say to you? You shall not eat from the tree in the garden. And then you know how the story progresses, of course. The woman gets tricked. She eats. She takes. She gives it to Adam. He eats. Their eyes are open. And you know, they realize they don't have any clothes on. So they take care of that problem. And then God is coming along. The story tells us. And in verse nine comes the next question. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, this is the God who knows everything. So presumably, God knows where they are. But maybe, and at one level, the answer is very obvious, standing here hiding behind the bushes. But maybe for us today, The question is, from God, I know where you are physically, but where are you really? And then when we drop down, the third and fourth questions come in verse 11. God said, who told you you were naked? And then the next question, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not? To eat? And then the fifth question in verse thirteen. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? Now that's a good question to ask when someone has done something wrong. A child, a spouse, a friend, a co-worker, what is this you have done? The capacity for the deepest change in us, has to come from an awareness within. And often it's a question that prompts us to think about that. The story of Adam and Eve is about the giving of God to his creation and to us as the highest intelligent beings within creation, the capacity for freedom. Freedom. Total freedom, good and evil. The choice is ours. The story is filled with questions. The late Saul Alensky, some of you may remember his work. He was an unconventional social worker who devoted his career to working on urban problems in cities like. Rochester, Chicago and Detroit. And he once answered his critics by saying, some people call me rude and rough and say I'm deliberately so, but they're wrong. I believe a certain measure of irreverence should be a part of the democratic faith, because in a free society, everyone should be questioning and challenging. And if I were to put up a religious symbol the way some people put up a cross or the Star of David, My symbol would be the question mark. The question mark. A question mark is a healthy sign. Besides, when you turn it over, it becomes a plowshare. You see, questions in any society and in any community are important. They are important for us as people of faith. Because they will determine how we focus our faith. Some of you may also remember Virginia Woolf, that English novelist. She wrote in The Voyage Outbound, We never seem to talk about the big questions, like, are we Christians? No one ever talks about the big questions. What are they for us since no one ever asks the big questions? I went to a dinner of famous writers, painters, educators and journalists, and they asked me this profound question. What's the difference between a baptism and a christening? There isn't one. <laughs> Jesus didn't strain for gnats. He struggled and wrestled with the big questions. Now, I don't know what all the questions were that Went through Jesus' mind and spirit as he grew from infancy to maturity and when he began his ministry, because we don't know much about those first 30 years of his life. But I know he questioned as part of that journey, that quest. After three days, they found him in the temple, sending among the elders. And the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. That's how we first encounter Jesus when he can actually talk. He's asking questions. That's the first glimpse we get into Jesus' identity at this early adolescent age. He's asking questions. And you know how his parents had left and then come back, and well, The first question in this text is, Child, why have you treated us like this? And any parent would be upset to lose their child. I've heard many stories of people who have stopped at rest areas, gotten in the car to proceed proceed five or ten minutes down the highway, only to realize they've left one of their kids back at the rest area. But then in verse 49... It's Jesus who asked the next two questions. Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? And Jesus increased in wisdom and years and in divine and human favor. See, Jesus is the model for asking questions. It's a rabbinic teaching technique. You answer a question with a question, which helps drives the questioner even deeper. I love the story of Samuel Johnson and James Boswell of English literary fame. They were very good friends, but Boswell had a habit that rather annoyed Johnson, and one day he confronted him on it. Bosie, as he affectionately called him, why is it you always answer my questions with a question of your own? And Boswell responded, do I now? <laughs> Why all the questions? Because questions are good. Questions can lead to growth. Some hesitate to ask questions and some are embarrassed to ask questions thinking, well, I don't want to ask a dumb question. I don't want to be perceived to be dumb. Asking questions is so important. And there's another reason that we are reluctant to ask questions at times, because it's for fear of rejection. I like the young man who who um, had been dating his girlfriend. They'd become very close for quite a number of years. And finally, he said, if I propose to you, Would you say yes? And she was equally cautious, and she said, If you knew I'd say yes, would you propose? All serious questions are honored here. Some churches, some churches ask you to, to really, they ask you to sort of check your mind at the door, kind of the way you would a coat. They just want you to check your mind at the door. Step back into a first-century worldview and just accept everything as though it actually happened all that way. Don't ask questions. The church will tell you everything. Just accept it. Just the way it happened right there in the Bible. Nothing could be further from the truth, at least not as we understand it. It was M. Scott Peck in that very helpful book, The Road Less Travel*, when he said this one line, The path to holiness lies through questioning everything. Wise people ask questions and they don't presume to have all the answers. As James Thurber, the American essayist and humorist, also observed, he said it's better to ask some of the right questions than to know all the answers. Next Sunday, I'll be exploring a theme that theologians and clergy have wrestled with over the centuries, and it's called the Theodicy Odyssey, or at least that's my sermon title. The the difficult theological question is dealing with good and evil. How does a loving, powerful, all-knowing God allow evil to exist? So we'll be exploring the Theodicy Odyssey. And then in two weeks from today, the sermon title is going to be Everything You Wanted to Know About Religion But Were Afraid to Ask." And here's, here's the thing about that Sunday. You get to ask questions. Here's how it's going to work. So I'm planting the seed this morning. In two weeks from today, you can come with any question you've ever wanted to ask, and you're going to get a three-by-five card inserted in your bulletin. And when you come in, you're going to be invited to write down your question. And the ushers are going to collect them up very early in the service and I'm going to slip out while the service is progressing and I'm going to quickly go through the questions I'm going to kind of clump them together and put them in some sort of order and I'm just going to come in and sit on a stool and try to answer your questions that's a rabbinic technique and we'll see how it goes I can't promise to answer all the questions as you might want them answered I may not be able to answer them at all But I'll do my level best to try, and I will welcome any genuine question that you have to ask. So, the Linton journey, questions and the quest. Why all the questions? I invite you to explore and ask deep life and deep faith questions. And now I want to invite you into a brief period of silence. And I want to offer two questions for you to think about. You can take these with you throughout the Linton journey or just ponder them for a brief time this morning. What is it you want? What do you want? Or another way to think about it is, deep in your soul, what do you truly long for? be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now And perhaps you will live, perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing, live along some distant day into the answer. So wrote the German poet, Rainier Marie Rilke. You probably noticed that the sermon title for today is a question. Well, I've got an answer. Why all the questions? Why not all the questions? Amen.